Well, Dad decided that it would be a great thing if his sons learned how to swim. I'm the youngest of, of the three boys, so all of us took swimming lessons, and I was in the second grade. Now, the people teaching the swimming lessons also teach the Navy recruits how to swim, because it seems like a good thing if you're going to join the Navy, if you know how to swim. You know, if you join the Army, they teach you how to walk, so it's, uh, it's just kind of a, an interesting thing to do. So, uh, so we're in these swimming classes, and, 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 and it's only later that I figured out they're teaching us to swim the same way they teach the recruits how to swim. When I say it dawned on me later, it's like 15, 20 years later it dawned on me, because because they're teaching us four survival strokes, you know, the, the crawl and the breaststroke, side stroke and backstroke, and they're teaching us how to float and do the dead man's float. And even I, 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 in my mind, I, I can still remember them showing us how to take a pair of pants, tie off the legs, scoop up air in it, and use it as a flotation device. Isn't that clever? You know, if you're ever on an aircraft carrier and it sinks from under you, you can use that. Uh, but speaking of aircraft carriers, one of the things that, that, that they have to teach the Navy recruits to do is they have to teach them how to jump off an aircraft carrier. I mean, if an aircraft carrier sinks, you're going to have to jump off it. It's an awful tall jump, so you're going to have to learn to jump off a tall platform into the water. Of course, I, my question is, why not just let the aircraft carrier sink, and when it gets so low, step off into the water? But no, we had to... <laughs> So one of the things we had to do in these swimming classes was we had to jump off a platform that was about 60 feet tall. Well, no, it was only 10 feet tall, but I was in the second grade, okay? I'm in the second grade, and, and what I remember is coming up to the edge of, it wasn't a springboard, just come to the edge of the platform, looking down to the deep end of the pool and seeing how far it was and knowing that death awaited. Now, the end of the story is I did jump. I did swim to the other end of the pool. Um, but I, I never got in the Navy, but I, I did pass the swimming test from that. And that's sort of the way I feel right now as we're getting ready to dive into the last part of the book of Ephesians. We're standing on the platform, and there's some very deep water that's coming for us. And just before we jump, we're going to put it into the context of submitting one to another. Because um, what we're about to read, you know, when we talk about the marriage and when we talk about parents and children, a lot of it has to do with giving up self for the sake of someone else. Denying that self-centeredness that is so much a part of us for the sake of being focused on what's the welfare and what's good for someone else. And so that's what I want for us to think about this morning, being submissive to one another and just realizing that it's not... It's not just an optional thing. It's actually woven into the very fabric of the gospel. This is what God saves us for, this kind of service, this kind of submission, one to another. And we'll talk about what that means. So with that as a running start, let's, let's uh, pull up to verse 15, Ephesians 5:15, and we'll read down. That'll give us the whole paragraph all at once. And look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father, as we come to the truth of your word, we pray that we would be open, receptive, learning, Father, that we would just have a, 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 an attitude of heart that would allow your Holy Spirit to mold us and remake us and conform us to the image of your Son. Father, that the things that we read in your word would become things that are true in our lives and that as a result we might be living for your glory and giving you praise and honor in everything that we say and do. Father, we are not sufficient for these things. Unless your Holy Spirit teaches and guides us, we are lost in, un in, in, in ignorance and lack of knowledge. But Father, let your Holy Spirit work and minister in our midst and then enable us to praise and to worship you as befits your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. You know, when we talk about submission, um, it's a hard topic to deal with. It's difficult and really difficult for two reasons. Uh, one reason is it just goes against our grain. Uh, I know there's some people who are... Um, just compliant and uh, they just get along with everybody but deep down I think most of us have a sense of we just don't like people to take advantage of us and we don't like people to get something that we think is really ours if you don't think that just imagine if it's ever happened to you that you were looking for a parking space and just before you got there somebody pulled in right in front of you and your response was, praise God that he gave a parking space to that person. Out of the infinite depths and eternity of his will, he gave my parking space to that person. Now, I know this is true. The other day I was at, at the hospital down in La Plata. And uh, uh, La Plata Hospital has a parking space reserved for clergy. I think they're the only hospital in the state that does this. I'm pretty sure of this. I don't know. It's the only one I ever see these days. It used to be all hospitals had clergy parking, and then they got mad at us. But, but um, you know, down on the plate, they still like us. So there's one parking space for clergy parking. And when I drive into the lot, there's a, there's a car in the parking spot, in the clergy spot. And my response ought to be to thank the Father that he has sent someone to minister to a person in need in the hospital who is struggling and who is, who is hurting and wounded and God has sent a minister to that person and we should praise God. And that is what I do in your dreams. I look at that car and I look at the mud flaps with that little silver silhouette on it. Yeah, guys, you know the one I'm talking about. Or the gun rack in the back of it as a pickup truck or something. And I'm thinking, I'm in the wrong church. <laughs> the other day I pulled in and uh, uh, had a visit and then as I was, I was coming out a car comes up behind me and parks right behind me I can't get out guy gets out of the car it's the hospital chaplain I know what he's thinking he's finally caught one of us and he's going to tell us not to park in the clergy spot he, I roll down the window he looks at me he recognizes me I've been going to the hospital for 40 years and he says, have a nice day. <laughs> and, he gets, and he gets back in his car. 
I mean, but this is, this is our attitude. Is we're, we're very quick to protect our rights and very quick to make sure that nobody takes anything from us. And so when the Bible says to submit ourselves to one another, it goes against the grain. I mean, this is the problem our first parents had in the Garden of Eden. They did not want to submit to God. They did not want to submit to His will and His commandments. And so at, at the heart of our, of our humanity... You know, is this this uh, this desire that no one takes advantage? And so, when it says submit to one another, we're saying, "Oh, yeah, right. I don't think so. Uh, you got to convince me on that one." So that's the first time. It, uh, first reason it, it's hard to deal with is, is it just goes against our grain. The second reason it's hard to deal with the uh, topic of submission is that it has so often been abused for the sake of hurting innocent people. There's nothing about Christian submission that says a child needs to be a punching bag for an abusive parent. And there's nothing about Christian submission that says that a wife has to be a doormat and cease to exist for an abusive, either emotionally or physically, husband. So often this has been abused, and what we need to keep in mind is that the injunctions that God gives us are so that we might look more like Christ and that God's glory would be put on display. And that when the Bible talks about submission, it's talking about something that heals us, not hurts us. So I just want to get that out and have, have that uh, before us and in our mind that as we're talking about submission, we're not talking about enabling other people to be abusive and enabling other people to be sinful in their conduct and in their relationships, okay? together on that. But the matter we're talking about is the one of submission, submitting uh, to one another uh, in the, or out of fear or reverence of Christ. We need to understand what, what that means. And of course, the, the whole focal point is the person of Jesus. That's why we are saved. God saves us out of his great mercy to, to uh, take us out from under his wrath that we would not uh, experience the wrath and the condemnation that we deserve because of our sin. He saved us to bring us out of that darkness and into the light, but then he also saves us in order that he might conform us to the image of his dear son. That is your destiny. That, that is what God predestined for your life before the world was created. He predestined that you as a believer in Jesus Christ would look like the son of God, would look more and more like Jesus. And, and Paul's been talking about that here in Ephesians as we've um, been looking at it. And so uh, this injunction, submit to one another, it has to do with looking like Jesus in our relationships. You remember that Jesus, when he was 12 years old, uh, was taken to Jerusalem. And uh, his, his parents took him there to the temple that they might participate in one of the religious shindigs. Shindig is Hebrew for festival. And so... Um, they, they were there, and they had the, the, the celebration and the festival. And, and after it was all over, uh, Mary and Joseph, his parents, uh, they, they got in the, in the troop of people, and, and they start walking home, and they just assume that Jesus is with uh, some other people, with maybe some cousins or friends or whatever it is, that he's going to be in the, in the train of people who are, who are leaving Jerusalem going home. And they get a day's journey away, and that night they're, they're looking for Jesus, and he is nowhere to be found. Well, they traveled back to Jerusalem. They're searching all over Jerusalem. Finally, they find Jesus in the temple, and he's there talking to uh, the elders and the teachers and the rabbis and, 
Uh, they're asking questions. He's asking questions. They're just amazed at his wisdom. And uh, Mary and Joseph, they go up to Jesus and they, you know, Jesus, what are you doing to us? Don't you know? We've been looking for you everywhere. And Jesus says, you should have known I had to be in my father's house. But then the scripture says that he went home with them and it literally says, and he submitted himself to them. It's the same word, same Greek word as is used here. There was the, the relationship, the family that uh, God had ordained. He had set Jesus into that family. It was a godly family. It, it, was, it was completely functional and, and positive and creative and growing and nurturing. And so in that setting, and Jesus submitted himself to his parents. Now, I'm pretty sure there were times when Mary and Joseph didn't exactly get things right. I'm sure there were times when Jesus would have been justified in saying, Mom, Dad, uh, you need to change your tune here. But in point of fact, he submitted himself to them so that the Father would be glorified. See, that word to submit, the Greek uh, word for it is hupotasso. Uh, uh, it's a word that comes from the military. And uh, it means to set soldiers in the line of battle underneath commanding authorities. In other words, if, if, if you were being submissive in that sense, you were a soldier and you were told to stay here in the line, protect this sector of the, of, of the battlefield, and your commanding officer was telling you to do that, and so you submitted yourself to that. You didn't say, well, I have a better idea, you know, I have another plan, uh, but rather you, you did as you were told. This seems to be an important thing in military life and strategy, uh, that people actually obey orders. Some of you are familiar with the Battle of Gettysburg during the Civil War, and in that battle, uh, the Southern Army of Robert E. Lee had, had come into Pennsylvania and then into Gettysburg and was attacking the Union Army in a prepared, uh, well, a, a, a nice position. They had good ground. And uh, uh, Lee had a general by the name of Jeb Stuart. Jeb Stuart was with the cavalry, and it was the job of Jeb Stuart and the cavalry to set up a screen along the, the edges of Lee's army. That is, it was is Jeb Stuart's job to make sure Lee didn't accidentally run into a larger Union army and to sort of prepare the way. So that, that was the screening uh, sort of function of the cavalry. What Jeb Stuart did during the Battle of Gettysburg, though, was he penetrated into Pennsylvania and he started capturing wagons and provisions and horses and all these great spoils of war. And he was off having a grand old time. Meanwhile, Lee is back at Gettysburg and he wants to do a flanking maneuver Am I losing it? He, he wants to run around the, the end of the Union Army, but he can't do that because he doesn't have Jeb Stuart there to make sure it's okay that the Union Army isn't going to ambush him. And so one of the reasons that, that uh, Gettysburg, not the total reason, but one of the reasons was that uh, Jeb Stuart was not submissive to his orders. He didn't obey the command. In the NFL, they have a saying, so they tell me, from all my time in the NFL, I came to know, okay. <laughs> but uh, they, they have a saying, it's, it's do your job. And what that means is that every player has an assignment. You know, on the kickoff, every player has a lane. You're, you're going down this lane, you cover this lane. On the kickoff, you don't run to the ball because you'll abandon your lane. The guy gets the ball, he runs around, he comes down your lane. And you're not there because you ran to the ball. But you're supposed to cover your lane. You're supposed to cover the man. You, you have a blocking assignment. You have a route you're supposed to run. All these, all these kinds of things. You have a job to do. You need to do it. You need to be submissive to the play that is called. 
Soccer's the same way. So they tell me. What happens when you get a lot of little, 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 little kids playing soccer? They all congregate around the ball. The ball goes this way. It's called herd ball. And they just, you know, they all just trundle that way. And the whole job of the coach is try to convince these kids that they will play better and have a better game if they spread out and give, give the guy with the ball someone to pass the ball to. If they'll just spread out a little bit, trying to get them to submit to the game plan. So that's the, that's the meaning of the word. Jesus submitted himself to his parents. He also submitted himself to the Holy Spirit. Uh, you remember that right after he was baptized, the Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, you see, if, if this is happening to me, I'm pointing out to God that he sort of missed the point here. Wilderness, not a good place to be. Devil, not a, go- a good guy to be with. Temptation, not something I want to experience. If the Holy Spirit's going to be in my life, I think the Holy Spirit should bring me to something like maybe wealth and prosperity and health and and all these good things but the holy spirit led jesus into the wilderness to be tempted and jesus went he was surrendered to the work and the movement and the indwelling of the holy spirit of his father in heaven that's why in in uh, in the book of ephesians we started out with don't be drunk with wine that's debauchery but be filled with the holy spirit what does that mean well among other things it means Being filled with the Holy Spirit means submitting to one another out of fear, out of reverence for Christ. So Jesus was was surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. And this culminates, of course, and many other examples, but it culminates in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praying to the Father and his human nature, his human will, fully man, fully human. And that, that, that human will just looks at the cross and sees pain and agony and sees suffering. And really, you know, the, the human inclination is avoid that. And so he prays, Father, if it's at all possible, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And he surrendered and submitted himself to the will of the Father so that he might go to the cross and die for our sins that we might be given life. And so Jesus constantly throughout. And that's, that's why Paul in Philippians, for example, uh, he says, have this mind in you. He says, I, I want you to look out, not for your own interests, I want you to look out for the interests of others. This is Philippians chapter 2. He says, I want you to look out for the interests of others and have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus who was in the form of God, but did not consider divinity, did not consider being God, did not consider equality with God, didn't think of that as something to be clutched and grasped and hung on to, but rather he emptied himself of the divine prerogatives so that he might take the form of a servant being found in the fashion of a man and being found in the fashion of a servant of a man, he became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow whether things in heaven or things on earth or things underneath the earth and every every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father so Paul points to Jesus says that's that's the mindset that's the mindset of of submission it is saying the will of God is more important than my rights or my perceived rights or my perceived 
um, uh, needs or whatever it is, is that, that the will of the Father is more important. And ultimately, the glory of the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we're looking at this idea of submission, it's not just a, a tag-along. It's not just an option that maybe you would like to add to the Christian life. It is rather woven into the fabric of the gospel because it is reflective of who Jesus Christ is and who he is for us. There was one time when the disciples were coming to Jesus. They, they found this doctrine very, very hard. Very hard to swallow. Because there was a time when uh, Jesus was with the disciples and um, the scripture says that the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that is of James and John, came to Jesus. And, and she said, Jesus, uh, uh, when the kingdom comes, how about if one of my boys sits at your right hand and the other of my boys sits at your left hand? It doesn't matter to me which is which. I just want my two boys to have the two places of honor in the kingdom. Not too much to ask. By the way, I got dibs. I said it first. And Jesus said, well, in point of fact, you're not really uh, cognizant of what you're asking for. You, you really don't know what you're saying. Uh, they're they're, they're, they're going to have a rough time of this, and they're going to have to go through a lot. But I, I don't award that kind of, of place. But then the scripture says, the other ten, when they heard this, were indignant. They didn't like this. James and John are trying to get first and second place around the, around the table. They were indignant. Do you think they were indignant because, oh, look at James and John. They have lost sight of who Jesus is, and they don't have a servant heart, and, and consequently they have no idea of behind the, the, the principle of the cross and self-crucifixion uh, for the sake of the gospel to, to their life. No, they were indignant because they wanted the same two places. That's, what, that's the way we are. That's the way human nature is. And so Jesus called them to him. In fact, I'll read it for you. This will surprise you. Jesus says it better than I can remember. Jesus called to him, them to him, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. That's the way people are. That's the way Gentiles are. They want authority. They want the title, the power, the prestige. They want to be able to tell people to come and go and do whatever. You ever know somebody like that? Because they were a boss, they had to be bossy? Just, just because they were in charge, they had to make you know that they were in charge by, by bringing up silly stuff? He says, they love to exercise authority. This is, by the way, Matthew 20, 26, and this next phrase should be just, in, in, just burned into our hearts and our minds. It shall not be so among you. There it is. It shall not be so among you. You look at the world and you see the insanity. You look at the world and see this, this uh, need for power and to get ahead and to lord over one another and to trash talk your way to the top and all this. You see what the world is doing and Jesus says, not so among you. Not so among you. Whatever excuse you're using to look like the Gentiles, not so among you. Here's how it really works. Jesus said this. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Because look, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. See, our calling to submission is a calling to look like Jesus. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about 
letting, letting our conformity to Jesus just take priority in our lives. Um, then uh, it, back to Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of, out of a knowledge of the beauty and the wonder and the value of Christ. The, the, the Greek word there is fear, phobos, and uh, I tried to, to, to think about how to illustrate what we're, what we're thinking about here. Uh, I, I don't uh, uh, deal in jewelry. I don't cut diamonds for a living, and, and I'm hoping you don't either because I just made this up. But if, you, if you're uh, cutting a diamond, you have the raw diamond, but in order to make it valuable, you have to cut it so that the facets can be exposed and, and, the, and the luster and of, of all the little diamonds inside this big raw diamond can be revealed. And so you, you take the cutter and you're getting ready to cut on it. And the more valuable that raw diamond is, the more anxiety you have over the cut. And it's not a debilitating, paralyzing fear, but there's a knowledge of just how important this one stroke is going to be. And that's the kind of fear we're talking about. We just know how beautiful and wonderful and valuable Jesus is. And we have a fear that we might blow it. And a fear that we might just fail him. A fear that we might just leave him uh, out of the glory he deserves. And so out of fear for Christ, we submit to one another. So that, that's the motivation. The motivation is to be like Jesus, to bring him glory, just because he is worthy of that. And then, uh, just to, to finish up, in the, in the venue, the, in the context in which this happens, uh, Paul says, submitting to one another. This letter has been, in, in, in many ways, about the church, the unity of the church, why there is a church, how it comes to be, uh, you know, all those things, the gospel of grace and, and, and election and those kinds of things. But he says, this submission takes place in the context of the body of Christ. You know, we say some silly things sometimes, and we, we don't mean to be silly, but when we think about it, they're kind of silly. One of the silly things we say is, I'm going to church. You might have said that this morning. I'm going to church. Or when are you going to church? Did you go to church this week? And then we'll say something else. And think about it. It's really nutty. We say, when does church start? I know what we mean. We mean, when does the church service start? But it's a silly thing. When does church start? We are the church. Sometimes we're the church gathered together, worshiping together as one. Sometimes we're the church scattered out in the world, bringing a witness on mission for Christ. When does the church start? It never stops. And so Paul says, submitting one to another in the context of the church, letting this, this, uh, the character and the nature and the person of Christ just come out and be real in your life. That means starting to serve one another here in this body. Let me just give you a... A, a quick application, very, very quick application. Some of you have heard this, and it bears repeating. The other day, I took my car into the Honda service department. I did that because there was a little plastic button that was about to break off, and I'd gotten a, a, a service recall uh, because if that button fell off, the car would explode. Now, but but it, it would really, it would stop running because it, it had to do with the transmission. Okay, so I took it. So I drive on under the Honda service department, and uh, I get there, get out of the car, and I walk into the service bay. Big open room, about four people sitting at desks. I just sort of stand there, and they're working at their desks. I'm just standing. 
Let me figure, I, I must be in the wrong place. And there, there's a waiting room over here. Maybe there's something over there. I walk into the waiting room, and there's two windows, two possibilities to get it wrong. Uh, two windows there. And I don't know which one I'm supposed to go to, so I split the difference. I go and stand exactly between them. And I just stand there. I'm feeling invisible. I'm feeling like I'm not even there. It's a very uncomfortable feeling. Finally, a nice lady, she says, may I help you? I said, sure, I explained it. From there on, it was, it was gold. Everybody was nice and efficient, and, and I was in and out faster than, than I had a right to be, and, and the work was done. You know, all those kinds of, it was a great experience, but I spent the first couple of minutes feeling invisible, like nobody could see me. Here's one way, and, and I know why that happens, by the way. It happens because we're afraid that if we actually see somebody and say something, that, that they're going to ask us for a loan uh, or, or, or you know, pay for the kid's college education or something. I mean, it, it, it's true around here. I mean, it happens to me. I, it, you've done this. You see somebody. You don't quite know who they are. So as you walk by them, you pretend they're invisible. Look at that wall. I never knew that wall was there. That's the most fascinating wall I've ever seen. You know, you got by I know this happens. I do this. Sometimes I do it because I don't know who that person is. The other times I do it because I do know who that person is. <laughs> and then Debbie, Debbie says, you know, you got to talk to him. I said, why? He's, she says, because they're your sons. <laughs> but we just don't see people. We just don't see people. Submitting to another person is saying, I see you, I see you're there. So first of all, start seeing people and then say something. And it's got to, it, it can be very, very simple. All it has to be is, good morning, how are you? Good to see you. And they'll take it from there for you. That's all you've got to do. You can do this. I know you can because I've been practicing all morning. And nobody answered. No, I'm feeling you. No, no, but... No, but it, it, it really is true. You just see somebody, and, and when that, that feeling comes, keep walking, keep... No, 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 no. Good morning. How are you? Good to see you. And let them, you know, you, you see them, you say something, and then sense where they are. You know, I've, I've gone into stores where, where the, um, I, I just needed somebody to wait on me. A lot of times I go into stores, and I don't want anybody to wait on me. I just want to browse, just leave me alone. But invariably, when I need something, I walk into the store, and I'm waiting for somebody, service person, to come up to me. They're nowhere to be found. This happens to me at Home Depot. Come to find out on the Home Depot website, it'll tell you what lane, it, what aisle it is, and what, what, what bin it's in. So you can find that piece. You don't need anybody. But I didn't know that. People at the first service knew that, but they wouldn't tell me. But you walk into a store, you know, and, and if somebody just would just say, hey, how are you? Good to see you. I could then say, I'm doing fine, but I'm looking for a four-pound, one-and-seven-eighths-inch spring, <laughs> which is what I was looking for. But it didn't work anyway. But, <laughs> but if they would just have said, hi, how are you, I would know that they don't consider me an intrusion into their life. And if you just say, hi, how are you to somebody? You're saying, you're not an intrusion into my life. 
And maybe they're going to say, I'm fine, thank you very much. Move on. Mission accomplished. You've sensed what they need. They don't need anything. You're fine. But sometimes it's, hey, how are you? I'm doing fine, but I'm having trouble finding this kid zone you people keep talking about. Well, let me, let me help you find it. We'll find it together. Because you see somebody, you say something to them, sense where they are, and then serve them the way they need to be served. Now, I'm, I'm going to be fair. I told this story about Honda at the first service. I had three or four people go out, and they, they just changed the name of the dealer. <laughs> you know, it's not like it's only Honda. I don't want you to think that. Um, it's human is what it is. It's just human. It's not that people are bad. You're not a bad person, you know, when you, uh, when you don't talk to people. You're not bad. You're just human. Let's rise above that. Let's, let's serve one another, and especially here in the body of Christ. Make ourselves available. Submit ourselves one to another. If somebody has a need, maybe I can help them out with it. So if you see somebody, say something, sense where they are, and serve them the way they need to be served. I think you can do that, can't you? Because we're called to submit ourselves to one another because we love Jesus like crazy and we want to worship and adore him in everything we do. Let's bow together in prayer. And Father, again, we just uh, ask that your Holy Spirit would take our lives and change us, take away our excuses and explanations, give us the courage of faith to, to be like Jesus and to, to respond to others with his love, his compassion, his service and ministry. Father, let your Holy Spirit also just go with us throughout this coming week that in every situation we would have an awareness and an intentionality about making your love and your grace for us in Christ made known to others and those around us. We ask it in Jesus' name.